Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, Google, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, and Peter. Episode 15, recorded on March 19th, 2019. The Cloud Pod eats 31.4 trillion pieces of pie. Good evening, guys. It's another lovely Tuesday here at the Cloud Pod. And of course, uh, I am drinking a lovely Macallan 12 this evening. What about you guys? I got a couple of items here on my desk. I've got a. Uh, Are you two fisting it, like one in each hand, and just as we go, you drink both? Uh, maybe, maybe. I'm uh, there. No, actually, I got plenty of room on the desk here, so I'll probably be one at a time. But I started with the Bohemia, and then you posted your thing that you were bringing a Macallan, and I got jealous. So I just poured myself a little bit of Nika single malt. Nice. Just- Justin very kindly dropped over a Macallan for me too, so I'm. At least two or three fisting it right now because I already came prepared. So thanks, Justin. You're welcome. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting show by the time uh, we drink all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I only have one. You guys are the one who have multiple quantities. So we'll, I'll, keep, I'll try to keep us on track. Yeah. All right. So first of all, we um, we got some feedback uh, about how I and maybe the rest of us are saying uh, Azure. <laughs> Azure. And, uh, Azure apparently is the proper way, which, you know, I kind of subconsciously knew that, but I just, I've always said it the other way because I don't know my bad upbringing or something. Uh, So I will, I will attempt now to uh, say it properly, or I'll just punt out and say Microsoft announced versus uh, Azure. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, But, uh, you know, things happen. And so we'll we'll try to get better here at the CloudPod and, you know, we like your feedback. So we appreciate that tip from Greg on the website who commented on last week's episode. Thanks, Greg. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, so I also happened to uh, have the children this weekend on Sunday because uh, my wife was uh, spring cleaning like crazy. And uh, so they were forced to listen to episode 14 with me because it, dro- it dropped on Sunday and uh, I was listening to it. And so my, my son wanted me to pass along some feedback. And so I thought it would be fun to share it without you guys seeing it in advance. So that way you could um, enjoy the feedback as I did <laughs> in the car. So the okay. first thing, um, you know, we we happened to be using Waze at the time that we were driving. And so Waze continued to interrupt us that there were potholes on the road and uh, cars stopped on the side. And, you know, he thought that we should, first of all, mention that, Asia, that Waze isn't always accurate because there were several scenarios where cars were on the side of the road uh, that were not in Waze or were reported as in Waze but weren't there. So he was saying that's cloud related and that Waze should fix that, which is technically Google. So he's sort of right. Um, like so that's it. his first piece of feedback. So we thought we should mention Waze on the podcast, which I use all the time for navigation. I don't know about you guys. The second point he had was um, that we need more famous people on the podcast. Um, and so I asked him for some examples, and uh, he suggested that we get Bill Gates on. Uh, no. So if either of you can help with that, I would really appreciate it. He also said, you know, maybe the Amazon CEO or the Google CEO or whoever those people are, he doesn't know anyways. Then he, he also mentioned Tim Cook, potentially from Apple. So you know, that that's good. You know, so maybe we can work on that for him. I, I'm sure we can make that happen. He's also now been researching um, other podcasts that we should be advertising on about our our podcast. Um, and all of them he's chosen are, would cost us several thousand dollars to run advertising on. So uh, I, I'm working on that. But he, he would like to have a quorum call with us to discuss uh, advertising options to continue to build out the podcast. So, you know, just keep that in mind as we, okay. as, as you know, future invites come out from my son to both of you, he, he has demanded both of your phone numbers and that he wants to have this call immediately. 
We should do that. That's so. If we make him a T-shirt and make him wear it for school, would that would that work? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I think so. Yeah, definitely. We could we could try that, and we could also try finding a, a Tim Apple to get on the show just for uh, just for yucks and giggles. Yeah, definitely. Maybe maybe we can get his principal on. Maybe she's enough of a celebrity for him. I don't know. And <laughs> then uh, and then of course the the last question he asked was uh, he he wanted to know what the cloud is. He he wasn't really sure. And and I said, well, we haven't really talked about it, which he pointed out he knows because he's listened to every episode. Uh, that we never explained that actually what, what the cloud is. And so I tried to answer it in the car, and I, I think I gave him an acceptable answer, but he did want your answers as well. So, Ooh. Jonathan, what is the cloud? Well, this should be a really easy question to answer, um, but it's not. A lot of people say that the cloud is just running things on other people's computers, and I I don't agree with that entirely. I think that's part of it. It's a philosophy. It's consuming resources as a service. I guess the cloud is the connected network of services and resources that we can use to do things. That's a big question. How old is he again? (laughs) He's nine. I was impressed that he knew who Bill Gates was. I think he only knows who Bill Gates is because we talked about him being one of the richest people in the world once. You know, it it was definitely um, a fun conversation with him to hear his critique of our podcast in basically real time. Uh, How about you, Peter? Do you have an answer for my son, Corbin? Oh, he always got a bad answer than me. No way, man. (laughs) Way worse. Literally, it is just somebody else's servers, but just really easy to use. So I basically summed it up to him as like, it's the thing that pays the bills and don't worry about it. It's just yeah, someone yeah. else's computer. And that, that seemed to be satisfactory at the time. Hopefully this feedback uh, from him is well received and uh, I'll get that call scheduled to talk about our advertising and uh, celebrity guest situation later. I'll get right on the celebs thing. Going into last week's episode, we had a great episode uh, with our guest and we talked a lot about the open distro for Elasticsearch. And uh, we recorded on Tuesday, which was you know basically 24 hours since that was dropped on the internet. Um, and so after our podcast, of course, there's been some really great analysis. You know, Adam Jacobs, who own, runs the Open Software Foundation, has a great blog. Um, and his comment is, the only winner between Elasticsearch and Amazon is free software. And free software is the winner, and this is what the tenants of open source are. And he also had a Twitter thread that that was interesting. His big complaint actually was not that they are doing this fork, but that they um, are choosing to use the Elasticsearch brand and the name of it. And that he felt was kind of a crappy move. And I, I actually, that I sort of agree with. That does cause confusion in the market. Um, you know, it's not my C, you know open distro for MySQL. It's MariaDB, and they renamed it for that reason. And so I think that's really interesting. And then the other uh, big article that I read that I thought was worth sharing with the, with the listeners was the cloud open source powder keg. And so this was from Redmonk. Uh, and they basically were talking about this is an inevitable fight that had to happen at some point when all of these open source companies began. The cloud was just not a competitor to them. It was the future. And they were focusing on the competitors of the past, which was on-premise software and proprietary licensing. And now this is a new paradigm that we have to discover and we have to address and we have to figure out what the right model is going forward. I think it's fun watching the market figure it out and just sitting back with my popcorn and watching. Since I don't really have a vested interest in either side, it's uh, it's interesting and fun. Yeah, definitely. So if you uh, if you have follow-up items where you think we, we made a mistake or feedback on how we say funny words, you can now join us on our Slack channel. Uh, you can find that at the website, thecloudpod.net. Uh, on the top menu bar, there's a link to Slack, and you get an invite to our Slack channel, and you can talk with Peter, Jonathan, and I. Uh, you can also tag us on Twitter with thecloudpod, um, or you can use our handy feedback form on thecloudpod.net or comment on one of the episodes directly like Greg did. This week's topics. Uh, so first one's a quick one. Uh, Amazon Reinforce registration is now officially open. 
this is the security conference in June uh, in Boston. The price is $10.99 list price, but they are offering you $300 off. So you can go for $7.99 uh, while supplies last. And they do fully expect this event to sell out, which based on the size of the Boston Convention Center, um, I would expect it might sell out pretty quickly. So if you have not yet bought your tickets, uh, I would maybe jump out there and get them soon. I am registered. It does conflict with something that I have going on that week and Jonathan has going on that week. So we are trying to figure out if that conflict will be happening or not. And then we'll, we're working that out on our side. I would definitely like to be there. And it looks like it's small enough to where, uh, and hopefully um, uh, we'll get some really interesting deep sessions as well. Yeah. As always, I, I hope that we get enough um, enterprise customers there and we get some mind share with, with those other organizations because I think one of the biggest challenges we have in dealing with security in the cloud is convincing the more traditional information security staff that the cloud is a safe place and it, that it's okay and that there are best practices to follow and sharing information with other organizations that have been through these challenges is, is always a great value. The biggest, uh, if you're going to get signed up, the most important part is to go get your hotel right away because they are expensive already. Or, it's Boston. It's Boston. I'm. I'm, I'm just going to sleep in a bar. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I wonder if our. Uh, I wonder if our reinvent trick of just getting an Airbnb would work. Azure has simplified environment setups for ISO 27000 with some new blueprints. Uh, so Azure Blueprints is a free service that helps customers deploy and update cloud environments in repeatable manners. Uh, the Azure Blueprint for ISO uh, includes hardened infrastructure resources like the firewall, the key vault, the Azure Monitor, increased policy controls, a VDC architecture. Um, ISO 27001 controls and documentation. Uh, and they are saying they expect to announce additional blueprints for security, including high trust, PCI DSS, uh, NHS, which is a British thing, apparently, uh, FedRAMP and CIS benchmarking. I'm really pleased to see something like this. It's, it's been a challenge trying to deploy um, any kind of large environment in any cloud and, and meet security requirements. Do we talk about what ISO 27001 is? It's a general set of security controls and best practices based off NIST, uh, which is the National Standard Board for the United States. And I also believe it is based on some of the BSI standards um, as well from Britain. Uh, and basically, you know, dictate how they do things like DR, access controls, separation of duties, etc. that are all very standard, very most security programs are built off of an ISO 27001 um, model. You know, for years, we had those uh, reference architectures for every single solution that you bought. And uh, you're never certain if they're going to have enough detail and how you're going to implement them. And now that we could do it all as code, is Azure Blueprints, are they just delivered as like um, templates? Yeah, they're basically like CloudFormation style templates that provision uh, Azure <laughs> based uh, policies and documentation. Yeah, I mean, just getting it as code, talk about speeding up the process, man. It's so cool. It's all about repeatable deployments, and that's one of the big concerns. Yeah. How often do you think you guys will end up using this for your Azure projects? Uh, you know, I think that what I would probably end up doing is starting with one of these blueprints to see what they include in them. So reading through all the documentation of these, uh, a lot of these providers, especially when it comes to what they'll, um, what conditions they have in their BAAs, uh, you want to make sure you're architecting to meet that because what you build might be functionally accurate and it might even pass a high trust audit, but if it's not compliant with the provider's BAA, you might not be covered in the event of a breach from a legal standpoint. So seeing how they do it behind the scenes would probably be the value in this. And then probably starting from scratch uh, would be a requirement because a lot of this stuff, there's just no way for Azure to, for Microsoft to go build something um, knowing what areas that we're going to have to parameterize in order to um, stamp out you know, multiple environments 
multiple regions or leveraging multiple apps. Too many things that must be hard coded for them since they can't, they don't know your use case. So I, I think it would be just a super cool learning tool, a good starting point for people who have a super simple workload, and then a great learning tool for people who are building on the uh, on that platform. Definitely a starting point, and that's something you'd, you'd want to deploy without some consideration, because there's always um, difference of opinion about about what these controls mean or what they require, especially around things like firewalls and physical security. When you get into PCI and segregation of different um, parts of the network, well, do security groups in AWS cover the firewall piece? I mean, they're stateful, but they're not an appliance, and so you still get people deploying um, appliances on EC2 to, to do the do the same work. So it's it, it's it's good in a way that they're they're saying that we believe that what we're we're uh, putting into these blueprints meets these basic requirements. I'm sure there'll still be some wiggle room around real implementation details. It's something with the problem with the most of these blueprints, you know, in Amazon or in Google or in Microsoft is that they typically expect that you're starting from bare bones. And so, you know, if you're trying to adopt this blueprint into your existing infrastructure, that may be difficult and something you should take a you know very hard look at before you move right into this. Because hardening of your policies may actually break things that you've already deployed if you haven't thought that through or weren't concerned about it at the time when you first built it. So take it, uh, take it with a grain of salt, take a look at it before you, you know, go apply happy, but uh, definitely a great move in the right direction. Yes. Yeah. Yes. At least from a server standpoint, hardening almost always breaks something. If you've got a complex environment that you, and you didn't start with that, um, with that benchmark. So uh, Azure SQL Data Warehouse is now in preview for workload importance. So workload importance gives data engineers the ability to use importance to classify requests. Um, this allows uh, transactions that are of higher importance to have guaranteed quicker access to resources, which helps meet your SLAs. Uh, and they reminded you that you know, it, their motto is more with less. And so you can now get more faster queries with less uh, work on your hand is potentially what they're saying. More faster. I mean, I guess quality of service for big data queries. I mean, it's, it makes sense. It's a good idea. I think it was a little interesting because uh, you know my initial reaction reading through it was, well, why wouldn't you just scale up resources as needed, and so that you know you have a very level playing field of access and a standard SLA. And you know they they pointed out in their article actually in the answer to my own question, which was you know essentially in your big data environment you may have budget pressures or scaling down is a requirement, and you never know when the CEO is going to be, hey, what what is our sales numbers these week this week. Um, and, you know, maybe if it's the middle of the night and you have a batch process, you know, loading data, um, you don't want the CEO to have a bad experience. Why, you know, so why two in the morning when you want to get that query back to him as fast as possible? So it's, it is actually not, not a bad play. Um, I'm curious to see if they extend this into their other data warehousing products or if it's just going to be something they do in SQL. Uh, this week is uh, the Global Developer or Gaming Developers Conference, uh, and Microsoft and Google and Amazon have been very active this week announcing multiple things. So Microsoft started off with a new initiative they're calling Microsoft Game Stack. This is committed to bringing together tools and services to empower game developers to deliver um, services and capabilities to gaming solutions quicker and faster. So this includes um, several things they acquired from a company called PlayFab, um, which is an acquisition they did a year ago. It allows them to do things like uh, real-time analytics, live ops capabilities, matchmaking. Uh, they also have several pieces from the Xbox side where they're now ability to use Xbox Live across multiple devices like SDK, you know, for Android and iOS with an SDK, uh, the trusted game identity, and just an overall robust uh, gaming community. 
And then Amazon uh, announced 190 new features for Lumberyard, which is their main building block uh, for gaming, as well as a new game uh, lift real-time service or, uh, servers is now in preview. And then Google initially had just kind of wrote a blog post over the weekend about you know how you can do game development more flexible and open with Google Cloud, um, which really just highlighted their big machine learning and, and capabilities of instances. Um, and then this morning, they announced their new um, internet streaming game solution. So... Uh, the ability to actually have a game hardware in a in a Google Cloud data center that's then being streamed to you as the end user, um, so you can play high performance games in 4K um, on your Google Chromebook, for example. Definitely a move to to move the compute into the cloud and and to the edge. I think gone are the days where you could go to the store and buy a game for thirty, forty dollars anymore. It's all going to be pay per use, pay to play, and pay to win. I'm not not quite sure how I feel about this. I mean. They all seem to be tending towards the same thing. Obviously, it's a market they're trying to compete for. There's a bunch of money involved, and and Steam also announced this week they're opening up their own um, network to any developers to use their DDoS protected um, game connectivity as well. So, as I guess, it's all related to the conference, but it's going to be exciting. And how many people want to buy a Chromebook and play Call of Duty on it, though? I don't know. If I could buy the cheapest Chromebook possible and be able to play Call of Duty, that would be kind of awesome. Because right now I have to buy a pretty high-powered gaming laptop. And so, you know, there I definitely see the advantages. But I find it funny that both, you know, NVIDIA and Google talked about, you know, this is the first time anyone's produced a cloud-based streaming solution for gaming. And I, I'm pretty sure there was a couple other players who did this several years ago who were maybe a bit too early, too soon. Isn't out in GA yet, so you can't play any games on it yet. But the demos they showed today um, were pretty impressive. Sony's had their streaming service for quite a long time, streaming legacy games that were no longer supported on PS4. Well, legacy games, I, I'm not really as worried about because they're typically, you know, 16-bit or 32-bit. Uh, they're not typically, you know, massive multiplayer worlds. They're not 4K. You know, they're, they're very low resolution. So it's easy to pipe that data um, over the Internet in a streaming fashion. This is, you know, they're promising up to 4K resolution being streamed over the Internet to you. So assuming, of course, on your bandwidth, I assume. You buy a $100 Chromebook and then spend $100 a month on the Internet to support yeah. it. <laughs> you got to see competition in this space, though, as potentially going to accelerate not just the games, right, but the, the platform that the game developers have to work with, uh, just allow them to be creative. It's going to be super fun to see that market evolve and I mean, I'd, I'd hope pricing would actually end up getting more competitive with more players and, you know, more features allowing different monetization methods. So hoping things get better. On an individual provider basis, it's going to be great for the for the players because now there's a unified messaging system, there's a unified chat. You can talk to your friend who's not playing even the same game as you. Um, and they will get the protection of, um, you know, DDoS protection and other kind of network protections. I think it'll be be a positive in the end for the for the players. Uh, we won't need to download hundreds of gigabytes of updates when if we turn the PlayStation on. That's a really frustrating thing. You know, you don't play a console in a couple of months and you switch it on. You, I've got half an hour to play the kids. Let's, yeah. let's play a game. And then it's like, oh, you've got to update your Xbox and it takes 45 minutes. I'm like, really? <laughs> So at least, at least as far as uh, ex- gaming experience goes, we should be able to just flick this thing on and you know instant boot up times and no no security patches to apply and that kind of thing. So I think it'll be good for everybody. It does feel like this bet is a little bit dated though, because isn't the future of gaming supposed to be virtual reality? And I assume you know the the latency between a computer tower and your head is already a problem for some people, where it can cause massive headaches or nausea. Uh, the cloud only would add more latency to that story. So I mean, does this? Does this actually solve a problem that needs to be solved if the gaming world is moving more towards VR long term? 
Yeah, and I hope it doesn't completely kill the offline gaming industry because there's there's something to be said for for playing games when you're not connected. You go someplace, you get on a train or an aircraft or something, and you fly somewhere, and it's nice to be able to play a game. And if if this was to, if this were to push the the market to un, much more to online and less to offline games, that'd be a bit of a loss. I mean, isn't the future all online games according to Ready Player One? Yeah, <laughs> maybe we're in the game now. Yeah, maybe so. Well, let's move on uh, to an area that we understand a little bit better. How about uh, eating pie, Peter? Have you eaten any pie in the last week? Man, I haven't. I can't remember the last time. I, oh, I can't remember the last time I ate a pie. It must have been Thanksgiving. Well, you should have. You should have had some pie on March fourteenth, which is, of course, International Pie Day. Of course, it's the other type of pie. And uh, Google has uh, celebrated by breaking the Guinness Book of World Records title for calculating the most number of digits of pie. Uh, currently at 31.4 trillion digits. Uh, they apparently did this over 108, 111 days, uh, which is basically 7.6 machine years on 25 nodes. Uh, they use the N1 MegaMem-96 instance, which is a 96 vCPU with uh, 1.4 terabytes of RAM. And they took regular snapshots of this data, and those snapshots are available to you, the public, uh, to now go run all those massive calculations you needed to have 31.4 trillion digits of pi to understand and calculate did they also win the most pointless world record world record as well because that number of digits is is just just there for marketing purposes only and oh for sure there's no value whatsoever to anybody yeah i mean it was interesting because uh quinn actually calculated out how much this instance cost uh, you know being the cloud economist that he is uh it was something around two hundred and twenty thousand dollars uh to run this experiment and I was like, well, I guess, you know, if you had nothing else to do with those hardware, because no one's using the large instances on Google Cloud, I guess you could use them for this purpose. You, know, you paid for them already. Why not? And then that's retail price. Not, I mean, what's their margin? 70%, 60%, 70%. So. Well, sure. I mean, Google's cost is much less. Yeah. But if you, if you as an individual, wanted to go repeat this and, you know, you know get to 31.5 trillion digits of pi, uh, you should have a couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank to uh, do so. Notably, it was a little cheaper with the Amazon cloud, and that, that was even with the uh, just the on-demand pricing. So with spot instances, with, with a, if you can wait a little longer, we could, we could probably beat this. Yeah, maybe, maybe so. Sounds great. Maybe we can get a sponsor to do that for us next year at Pi Day. Speaking of AWS, when I think of cloud, I think of Foghorn Consulting. Foghorn has been around since 2008. They've been on the forefront of cloud enablement and have delivered powerful transformations for hundreds of clients from startups to Fortune 500, including highly regulated industries. They were early visionaries and practitioners of using code to automate infrastructure and operations to drive up cloud efficiencies while driving down costs. Terraform, Ansible, Jenkins, AWS, Asia and GCP. Go to fogops.io slash thecloudpod to learn more about their FogOps services and sign up for a free, well-architected framework review. Uh, Google Cloud ha- for Next19, which is happening in literally three weeks, uh, the schedule is now available for you to go schedule your sessions. Uh, Thomas Curian will be keynoting. He This is his first keynote as the new CEO of Google Cloud. Uh, and he'll be joined by uh, Anthony Goldblum, the founder of Kaggle, Kelsey Hightower of Kubernetes fame, uh, Melody McFessel of GCP, uh, VP of engineering, and then several customers, including Target, CBS, and Scotiabank. Uh, there will be over 500 breakout sessions, panels, boot camps, and hands-on labs at the event, and they are broken into five core areas, the world-class infrastructure, application development, data management, analytics and intelligence, 
and productivity and collaboration, which I guess that technically means seven, but they put that and in there. So there you go. Anything uh, you guys interested in at the uh, Google Cloud this year? I am not going to get to go to the Google Cloud this year. I'm going to be oh, in the Midwest. I know. Bombed. Well, we are going to uh, do a draft uh, game here in two weeks where we try to guess what they're going to announce at Google Cloud next. Ooh. So you can at least be there in spirit. I can't. Yeah, we will uh, definitely get you the rules next week so you know how to play along. Uh, but uh, yeah, you'll basically try to pick the four things that Google will announce for each of us. And then whoever wins out on that will uh, be the victor for when we get to the reinforce conference where we then uh, you'll get some benefits of being the winner. Yeah, so it's very similar to uh, how Upgrade runs their drafts for uh, Apple events. I don't know if you're listening to the Upgrade podcast from Relay FM, uh, but they do a draft uh, at all of the big Apple events. And so we're going to shamelessly steal their format uh, and leverage <laughs> it here. <laughs> so. Uh, GCP is uh, turning data into March Madness insights. This is all for March Madness, which is happening in the world of college basketball for all those people who are into that. Uh, GCP is apparently the official cloud of the NCAA. Uh, last year, they turned those predictions into real-time TV commercials that aired during the Final Four, uh, basically giving you the probability of one of the two teams winning the match. Uh, they have over 80 years of history uh, from the NCAA that they have now comp- uh, put into their systems and big data. And then you can actually take a Quick Labs course now to teach you how to use BigQuery to analyze all that fantastic NCAA data. Uh, there will also be two boot camps at Google Cloud Next uh, on how to use this data and how to make it interesting. Uh, and so if you're really into basketball, this is a super fun way that maybe you can use that, that free BigQuery tier uh, that we talked about a few weeks ago to uh, analyze some of this data and maybe make some uh, wise decisions on your betting. That sounds like fun. They could go in and see if you can find out where people have been paid off to lose games and things like that. Find the corruption in the game using data-driven analysis. Well, I'm sure there are several teams this year that in the first round, uh, there were some, <laughs> some big upsets. So yeah. maybe people will just point to those and say, that. well, it's right there. I don't know. But uh, but enjoy it while we can because I think within a few years' time, we, we won't even need the players anymore. We'll have enough data from, from the last 100 years' worth of gaming that we can just create AI and an AI league and AI games that we can just watch uh, virtual reality. Impossible. Play. I say impossible. <laughs> In fact, I would love to see the the amount of GCP compute that create that set the world record for the number of digits in pi, and see how cl- how, how well it could do with uh, NCAA bracket. Ooh, ooh, that's a good challenge. Maybe they will do something like that. Maybe we'll find out here after the events are over and they, they announce it. Uh, the final four will actually be right around the time Google Cloud uh, Next is happening. So I'm sure it'll be part of their main stage presentation as well as what they're doing with the NCAA. So we look forward to learning more. All right. Cloudflare, which is uh, assumed to be one of the unicorns that would IPO this year, has apparently instead raised a fresh $150 million in funding. This was apparently raised by Franklin Resources and included money from Alphabet, Microsoft, Qualcomm, and more. Uh, they've raised over $330 million to date, and they process over 10% of the world's internet traffic. Uh, this is relevant to us here at the CloudPod because both Google and Microsoft announced a partnership with Cloudflare last year where they actually route most of the outbound traffic from their networks through the Cloudflare network. They're apparently going to use this money on R&D and beefing up their international presence. Yeah, I was so surprised to see that that they're using an external vendor for so much of their traffic. But they're good at what they do. They have a good network. They're fast and they've been very reliable over the years. So I can understand why. Why build your own? Why go to that expense on building out your own network when you can pay somebody else to do it? That's the whole model of the cloud. Well, yeah, or you can buy them. You know, there's all kinds of different options of how you could get this capability in your cloud. But you know, the partnership's nice. That it keeps the options open and 
you don't take a player out of the market. So that's good. Yeah. That's a lot of money this close to an, to an IPO though. Yeah. It definitely sounds like they're going to be delaying their IPO probably for another year or until the second half of the year. Um, and I assume this is based on, you know, Goldman Sachs coming in to underwrite their IPO and saying, you know, hey, your financials could be beefed up just a little bit. Amazon Web Services has joined the GraphQL Foundation uh, to help build an open and vi- vibrant GraphQL community. Uh, so when Amazon apparently moved to small pizza box teams, they learned the value of a good API. And many product teams across Amazon, such as Twitch and Goodreads, rely heavily on GraphQL to deliver simple and friendly and powerful APIs. Uh, there's a quote here in the article, uh, GraphQL is a foundation technology for building APIs that empower front-end developers to deliver the best user experience for their customers. With AWS AppSync and the Amplify framework, Amazon Web Services is enabling developers to build and run critical GraphQL workloads at scale, and we are excited to join the foundation to support and grow the GraphQL community, said Adrian Cockcroft, Vice President of Cloud Architecture Strategy. I'm really happy about this. One of, one of the problems we've had in moving workloads to the cloud, which were traditionally running in private data centers, is that as we've upgraded those private data centers to 10 gig networking and very closely connected servers, it's been very cheap and easy to move around huge payloads between endpoints. We can make a query and have it return a 15 meg document back, and we haven't really had to give any consideration to um, bandwidth utilization or the time it takes to move that data around. But as we transition these workloads to the cloud it's becoming an issue now because now we've got direct connect we've got other lease lines or just the internet to deal with and it's becoming more and more necessary for the performance of our applications to use something like graphql to uh, trim down the responses to just what we care about so i'm i'm excited by this it's sort of come in handy uh if could have used that for amazon's uh, aws's api calls you know when you run into their api limits like five years ago and if you start looking and your payloads get pretty big on describe calls and things that even if you filter, you find out that the CLI is filtering it after it pulls it down. Yeah, I was pretty disappointed that the um, that the query and the filter, it was all client yeah. side. This is a move for the yeah, better. Sure. That's cool. Hopefully. I mean, the filters are always kind of weird too in the CLI. They're a bit clunky. The syntax is one of my favorite things though, because I use it because no, nobody knows it and it's not intuitive. And so I always use it. I'm giving this away, giving away a little secret here, but I always use it on text screens. Um, because I could see people do something I know they don't know how to do. Nice. So you use it as kind of your litmus yeah. test? Oh, interesting. I uh, I might steal that from you, although we just gave it away. But I mean, yeah, although I, I have noticed, I have actually noticed in the uh, recent interviews that I've been doing with candidates that several of them are now listening to the podcast or noticing that I host a podcast on my LinkedIn. And so then they, uh, you know, they mention it in the interview. And uh, it's always interesting the questions they ask, you know, from why are you doing this thing to, uh, you know, really excited about it. So it's, it's kind of interesting litmus test in its own. Yep. If they you know, listen to the podcast and they're interviewing with Peter, they might be able to ace your question. We'll see. Yeah, but then I'll know. And then I'll just think of something else on the spot. I hope they're listening. All right. Uh, so get the get those Jedi lightsabers out. Azure government is the first cloud to achieve DOD impact level five provisional authorization and GA of their DOD regions. Uh, this is a key step to getting the lucrative Jedi contract locked down. Uh, they are the first commercial cloud service to be awarded this level by the Defense Information Systems Agency. Uh, the authorization allows all U.S. DoD customers to leverage Azure government for the most sensitive, controlled, unclassified information. Uh, and this includes also announcement on the DoD regions. Uh, which allows you to basically isolate all of your infrastructure from non-DOD customers. And this is a key deliverable for being able to assure that the government's data is secured and protected at all times. 
I thought Amazon would be the first for this. I think they're very close. I, I would not be surprised if they announce something similar next week at their summit in Santa Clara. I think uh, they were both were actively working towards this goal and, and getting this done in time uh, to hopefully win the Jedi contract. Yeah, they said Q1. I guess they got a couple of weeks left. I was surprised. Yeah, I would have thought Amazon would have got over the line first. And yeah, it's just, it's it's cool to see competition. I love it. I love competition in the marketplace. Microsoft's going after it. In the article, there was actually mentioned... Um, through our partnership, Microsoft provided direct access to product group engineers, compliance support, training, and other resources needed to bring our SaaS solutions to the DoD. Uh, this is by one of their customers, Defense Ready Cloud. So it definitely sounds like Microsoft's been very heavily working this problem from not only the DoD perspective, but also from the SaaS providers who lever you know, the DoD uses. Uh, and maybe they were just able to get a little bit of a jump start on Amazon by a few weeks or so to uh, address it. Or maybe Amazon did it weeks ago and they just haven't announced it yet because yeah. they didn't have to. Who knows? <laughs> it, well, that's very possible, too. It's, it's definitely something they don't have to announce uh, as long as the people who are in charge of the Jedi contract are aware. I'm anxiously waiting to see what happens with the Jedi contract and who wins it and why. On our last news story for the week, Azure Data Studio supports Postgres. So their open source GUI for Postgres allows you to now query Postgres natively inside Azure Data Studio, which is used for most of the data warehousing uh, products on Azure. Uh, is available on Linux, Mac OS, and Windows, and it integrates a terminal so you can drop into PSQL at any time you wish to. Um, this also included a new extension for uh, Visual Studio Code, which is Microsoft's free, lightweight uh, code editor that allows you to jump right into Postgres uh, SQL. So this is a pretty nice little improvement and upgrade. I love the tools Microsoft are building and releasing this year. They're going above and beyond the other providers in enabling people to do the dev work and to use their, their own platforms. Yeah, fearlessly. It's a totally different Microsoft than, than five, yeah. five years ago. But they've always had really great tools. They've just always been so locked into the Windows ecosystem that no one could use them if you use Linux or Mac OS. And so, you know, the ability now you can use SQL Server on top of Linux, you can this tool here, VS Code, you know, there is nice to see them being more open and, and capable. And a lot of these tools um, are really valuable and can be used in a lot of different scenarios and are quick uh, start guides for teams to use every day. So, you know, I know I sent this over to our DBA and he uses Azure Data Studio all the time and he was super excited about this enhancement. Well, that's all of our big news for this week. How about the lightning round, Peter? This is packed today. Two weeks in a row, it's been just absolutely packed. If it's too much for either of you, feel free to drop out and I'll just take the credit again this week. Take the credit? Okay. We'll see how that goes. I will be focused on reading and we'll see if I can sneak in a comment or two that uh, someone here thinks deserves a win. Um, okay. Uh, AWS Private Link now supports access over VPC peering. Peering at your privates. That's great. <laughs> Cheap. Low blow. <laughs> Absolutely. This again, like peering has been around forever and private links have been around forever. Well, not forever, but at least for six to nine months now. I mean, why would you want to use a private link for this versus just the normal private link process? It's a little weird to me. Yeah, why would you why would you peer to somebody and then use their private link? Why not just private link to to them? Yeah, I haven't really looked at the diagrams, but doesn't it kind of isn't this the first thing where peering is kind of non transitive or is kind of transitive? Yeah, this is. I guess it's part of the the non-transitive story where they're, they're yeah. starting to allow gateway services to things like uh, Direct Connect, uh, VPC peering, Trans VPC gateway. Yeah, it's a signal that their model is changing on the back end to support more transitive routes, which is really exactly. cool. Exactly. Yeah. Amazon FSx for Lustre now supports access from Amazon Linux. So we built a Windows file system that we now want Amazon Linux to talk to. I'm a little lost on this one. Yeah, I'm just hoping I don't have to read 10 blog posts about people who are angry 
from Luster and Centos about Amazon Linux and FSX for Luster. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what they did exactly to make this a thing. I mean, wasn't it already an open standard? Yeah, and it wasn't Luster. Luster is for HPC computing, right? So aren't most HPC computers Linux based to begin with? I don't I don't know of any non Linux based HPC applications. Amazon RDS for Oracle now supports in region read replicas with active data guard. So data guard is my absolute favoritely named product of all time from Oracle. Like, you know, the data guard guards your data. It's, it's just super exciting for me. Larry's just standing there protecting your data. No, no, he's protecting your wallet and your money. <laughs> so I, I, I didn't look at the pricing for this, but I imagine that this new read replicas with data guard is very expensive because data guard alone is a add on feature uh, for Oracle that costs big bucks. They build a product which which makes it seem like their original product wasn't good enough. I want my data to be secure in all of your offerings, not just this one where I have to spend tens of thousands of dollars extra. Stop it, Justin. (laughs) Uh, Justin's trying to get me to read, for those people listening, to read typos, but now he's just planting time bombs in my... uh, in my notes real time on the screen. <laughs> uh, we love the collaborative editing. <laughs> I can't read it. <laughs> uh, AWS schema conversion tool adds support for new endpoints, none of which are called the Peter endpoint. Just want to make sure everybody knows. <laughs> uh, so I, I, you know, what endpoints do they add? Do we know? Do we care about these endpoints? No, we don't. Based on the way that you keep butchering the notes, we have no idea. <laughs> they have um, uh, one. It's interesting, right? Because the uh, the source uh, that they're the sources that they're adding include Oracle extension in Postgres, I believe. So or it's migrating from Oracle to Postgres, and then uh, SAP Adaptive Server Enterprise as a source, and then RDS and MariaDB as a target. Focusing very much on getting off of proprietary technologies and onto open source. No comments on the schema conversion tool. It doesn't excite me. I'm sorry. How about Peter endpoints? Does it support? Does it? I mean, it's a Peter endpoint. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think your your schema needs to be converted at some point. <laughs> AWS Config can now remediate non-compliant resources. Yay! I mean, the feature we've been asking since the day they announced this. Remediate being, can't we just kill them all? Fake stuff, yeah. Just well, I mean, you could you could always build it yourself, right? So you could build, you know, if, if Amazon config detected you didn't tag your resources properly, you could write a Lambda function that would kill it or notify them if you're nice, unlike me, uh, and then kill it. Uh, but apparently now you can auto-fix it, which is pretty nice. So Yeah, goodbye, Redlock. You shouldn't beat up on Redlock. Maybe someday they'll be a sponsor. <laughs> Yay, Redlock. Yay, we'd love to talk to you about sponsoring the podcast. Anyways, so for that one time, Jonathan said goodbye to them. It's, it's awkward. The Amazon AppStream 2.0 now supports iPad and Android tablets. Right now I can get my kids to do my work for me. So if you ever use AppStream for Internet Explorer or Firefox or Chrome, you'll know that it's a terrible experience because those apps are not really made for being in a web browser. So I can't imagine that a device that doesn't have a mouse is going to handle it much better. So uh, I am curious to see how this actually works out. It's like if MySpace had invented Citrix. Right? That, that, is, <laughs> that is fantastic. That, I, I, you win on that alone. Oh, no. <laughs> 
Are except we? except they did just lose 13 years worth of people's data like 50 million songs or something like that of uploads during some server migration so okay really though if you're if you're music that you created it was still on myspace at this day you you should be fully complacent with the fact that they deleted all your data yeah i, I scrubbed the internet for all traces at least all the traces i could find of my uh my history it's just embarrassing <laughs> I, yeah, I stopped Googling myself a long time ago because I realized I don't like what I find. Yes. <laughs> Ignore the problem. It'll go away. But then Citrix, when Citrix um, didn't, they announced recently that they'd been compromised by a, uh, a foreign nation or awesome group and lost tons of terabytes of custom data as well. Ugh, awful. At least what MySpace lost was... Well, unless you're a music artist that needed that music to monetize. Yeah, I just don't know if I could stand losing yet another... San Francisco cover band of some kind of you know Gaelic music from the 1990s. God, I mean, I, <laughs> the, I, internet, the internet used to be a great place. <laughs> I mean, I assume that most people would be more upset if SoundCloud lost their five years of music history than MySpace. MySpace wasn't in the show notes. To be fair, I, I didn't even know MySpace was still around. I thought they shut down years ago, like GeoCities did, and all those other ancient. So I believe I heard someone tell me one time that they are absolutely huge in some place like Brazil or something like that, where uh. MySpace is still predominant there. Um, but it's it definitely does not have the traction that it once did. But you know, you could go back there if you're unhappy with Facebook's privacy stance, because uh, MySpace just deletes the data, so it's fine. And no backups. That's even better. That's yeah. Cool. So perfect. <laughs> AWS Glue enables running Apache Spark SQL queries. Sparks around Glue may be flammable. Better than nothing. I'm gonna call. I'm gonna give that. I'm gonna give that comment better than nothing since we didn't say anything. I have nothing. I have nothing to say. What do, what do you say about better than nothing? Better than nothing. I mean, if I use Spark on a regular basis, I might be really excited about this. But then, you know, you go into that glue console and it's like, ugh. I just love when we put a SQL interface on top of things that are no SQL. I love SQL interfaces on things. I, I worked with a, uh, a Postgres interface to AWS accounts years ago. Like you literally query these Postgres tables as though they were your Amazon account. You could like select instances from, you know, select instance ID from instances table and it was all kind of uh, mapped on the back end. It's pretty cool. It sounds like a, a cool tool you could talk about in a future episode. Wow. It does. Amazon Inspector adds support for ARM processors. I'm happy that they're, that they're committing to the ARM fully. Linus Torvalds is way off the mark when he said that ARM for servers was, was never going to take off. If security was blocking your ability to execute ARM processors and until Inspector came out, I guess this solves that problem for you. Yeah, and now we just need all the other suite of security tools to support ARM processors so that we can we can start using them. Maybe that's our trick to not having to put antivirus on servers. It's like, hey, we're we're using ARM. Does it support that? You know, now we don't have to virus. I'm sorry, our viruses don't support ARM yet. You're safe. Yeah, you're good. You're just fine. Yeah. Time for our GA party. We got three new SLAs, all three nines: AWS SSM, <laughs> AWS RoboMaker, and AWS Neptune. <laughs> uh... Show notes are so much fun when they're being edited live. When you're trying to talk. 99.9%. Okay. What would we do if they announced an SLA that was above 99.9%? Like, I, I mean, they have. They have? I mean, not for, for data durability, they have, but not for. Yeah, yeah durability. Robomaker, who cares if Robomaker is not available? 99.9%. I mean, there's not the end of the world if you can't play with your. your uh, $350 car that you're still waiting for. Thanks, Amazon. It was supposed to be delivered two weeks ago. But as far as SSM goes, there's no there's no multi-region option for SSM. 
I mean, if it's EC2 and you're deploying a service, you can spread it across regions and you can get better availability. But for SSM, you can't manage instances in a different region using SSM in a different region. So we're stuck with 99.9% availability for SSM. So don't don't build anything on top of SSM uh, if you need it to be more reliable than this. Well, I mean, my Roomba gets stuck at least five times a day. I'm going to submit it to uh, Robot Wars here pretty soon too. That way you can just take care of the problem permanently. Yes. I've got a NATO robot vacuum, not a Roomba. And it's like one of those Japanese fighting fish. You know, if it sees its own reflection in a piece of glass or something, it, it like fights to the death with itself. <laughs> <laughs> We've had two Roombas and an Ecovac, and they've all had their own levels of suck. But I'm... T- <laughs> I just have my house cleaned every couple of weeks. Until it gets automated by a robot, it's not It's not part of RoboMaker. Not part of RoboMaker. More mechanical Turk. AWS releases a new machine learning cert- certification. So you can learn how to use that SQL Server Spark thing up above and get certified. But sure, is this, the machine is going to get the certification here or the people? Yeah, I can't. I was going to say, I was going to say, I can't wait to get my machine certified. I'm going to train the machine to take the test for me. Yeah. Can I get them to do my Amazon renewal cert? Because that'd be great. Not looking forward to renewing my cert. Oh, Mechanical Turk, maybe. Ooh, Should yeah. be able to do that. Although they, uh, they, they're really anal about not bringing anything into the, the room with you when you do it. Although I wish they would do the Salesforce method where uh, if you get Salesforce certified, you can actually do it online with a webcam. And then they, they basically watch you take the test, which is sort of creepy, but also sort of awesome because I didn't have to go to some weird testing center. That's how Google started. Their GCP started, and then I think they ditched it. Oh, that's too bad. Remote proctoring is, is a um, pays decent money, I guess. You know, you can sit there and watch a dozen, 15 people in, in the little individual webcam uh, windows, making sure they're not reading the manuals and things. It's. Uh... I knew a person who was actually doing his Salesforce certification, and he was reading the questions to himself. And they literally failed him because they thought he was reading the question out loud to somebody who was in the room they couldn't see on the webcam. And so uh, he had to take it again after that. I was like, ooh, that's rough. Oh, wow, that's tough. Ooh. So they could just he could just muted the microphone. <laughs> well, so they when they when you do the proctor thing with Salesforce, it takes over your machine in a way so that you can't turn things off. And if you do, it notifies them. And like there's a bunch of, like it, uh-huh. all those things violate your your session and will make you fail. So, yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. I was in the facility, and the guy next to me who was taking another completely different test, like a plumbing test, was reading every question out loud right next to me. As told us in episode five. Oh really? <laughs> Fun. <laughs> Uh, Amazon Coretto 11, now GA. Uh, when did it become April? Is it 11 or 12? 12 now. 13? No. Any advance on 13? 15. Coretto 15 now in release. No, it's released again. I wish they could make their mind up about this stuff. I, I, I literally think we've talked about Coretto now for the last four weeks because I think it was first Coretto 8 was GA'd. And then they did a pre-release of Alpha of Coretto 11, like an alpha. And then they did a, G, a release candidate last week. And now this week they've GA'd it. So, I mean, I appreciate that. We don't have to talk about Coretto anymore. In the Coretto 8 announcement, they said, you will have builds available Coretto 11 in April. And it's still March. Still still today, still March. Six six weeks early. At this rate, they're going to be releasing Java 12 or 13 before Oracle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I would like them to now take this release process and apply it to all other products, because if we could get them to commit to some point in the future and then over deliver on that, that'd be fantastic. Newsflash, uh, press releases equals marketing. Azure backup for SQL Server in 
Azure Virtual Machines, now GA. How did this not work before? Was it only bare metal? It was only bare metal before, I think. Just bare metal. Uh, Azure Backup only worked on snapshots, and it didn't work on SQL Server stuff. So, oh. I mean, Azure Backup, it's a thing. So is Amazon Backup, and soon to be Google Backup, I'm sure. So. But, but snapshots, snapshots to what? The bare metal isn't, isn't physical drives anymore. It's mapped drives to, to a sound someplace. It's the same drives as supports the Azure Virtual Machines. I mean, the problem with SQL or any any SQL database is that if you take snapshots of the EBS volume uh, before the data is QS, you don't actually have a good backup. So if you have it in the SQL server and you can actually tell SQL server, hey, I'm about to take a backup, now you can QS it to disk and make sure your backup's better. It's just another way to do the backup, I guess. It's this whole mode, right, of micro improvements. Each micro improvement is worthy of a press release. Azure Container Registry now supports virtual network and firewall rules. This is in preview. So does this mean that my Azure container registry used to just be on the internet, that anybody could download my containers without any security in any way possible? I would imagine that there was a still authentication and encryption. I hope so, because if it wasn't there, I don't know that I would ever have recommended using this tool. I don't know, but whitelisting IPs in the cloud, that, that's an anti-pattern. I mean, if you can define it by this security group talks to this security group, that's not IP-based whitelisting. So it's a question of what they end up doing there. It just feels like they're making it more in the VPC or the VNet in Azure instead of a public endpoint. Well, I, I just don't know why they released this feature without it being in a, in a VPC to begin with. Like It should have been in the virtual network all along because that makes the most sense. Yeah, but I mean, lots of like ECR wasn't in the VPC. To I mean, start, it, right? it was, it's true, but... Security is day two or day three at Azure and Amazon. Like, you know, if you're saying Azure's you know, security is day one, then or day zero, then you should have this stuff in out of the box. I want everything out of the box. Amazon Chime voice connector released. So uh, Amazon Chime has become the Skype of telephony products. Now anyone in the world can call Jeff Bezos on Chime. Nice. Amazon Chime business calling is now available. It's just like, it's a business rate, so we charge you per minute instead of giving you the flat, you know, all, all calls included kind of thing. Of course it's charged with a minute. I mean, I guess I guess Ring Central and all those other companies that tied to Twilio are now quaking in their boots because Chime will take over the world. The Magic Jacks, all those guys. So I did, I did, because these are both, these are two Chime announcements. I will tell you that I did track when they came out and they came out in the same press release batch at the same time on the same day. So... Literally two two what's new announcements from the RSS feed literally within seconds of each other on the same topic. That could have been a single announcement. I think it'd been hard on these guys. I think it's like somebody somebody builds a, an epic for a feature and then they write the press release piece into the into the uh, the epic summary and then as soon as all the jobs are complete and the code's committed and the service is live, it just gets pushed out. There's no there's no uh, thought behind any of these things. It's just a machine. I think it's a machine, but I think the system is set up for, uh, in general, for uh, more press releases. More press well, I releases think equals more marketing. If they didn't batch them all up, I would sort of agree with you because, you know, they would basically come out as you did code pushes or code pulls got you know, merged into their GitLabs or GitHub repos. But the fact that they they all come out in these big batches every day and, and you know it's like two or three o'clock Pacific time they all come out you know six to seven a day, and then I look through them and I add them to the show notes and so it's just um, you know it, it just seems silly that they can't combine some of these things together. But you know the, again we talked about this last week I think. But what's new RSS feed is not the same thing as Jeff Barr's blog, 
And so I guess if they're, they're not getting the blog treatment every time, I guess that's okay. Amazon Work Docs now support offline content editing and offline search. What, I mean, what if I want to search things that aren't in the Work Doc? Like, can it search those too? Or is this really just searching Work Docs on my laptop? It's your, your cached crappy old copy. And if somebody else updated it, then you're out of luck. I mean, do you think it uses Open Distro for Elasticsearch to provide that search capability? I remember when Google Gears was a thing for, for offline content, but that was a long time ago. This is awesome. Yeah, Google Gears got all plugged into HTML5, though. So I think this is awesome. It's 2019, and I can finally work on the plane. Well, you, you used to be able to work on the plane with Word, and then they put it on the cloud, and then you couldn't. So now they've given you back the feature they stole from you five years ago. Exactly. <laughs> and they charge you extra for it. <laughs> Indeed. Well, that's the end of the lightning round. And I got to say, I'm going to go ahead and keep score right now. I can say the Bohemia is empty. The single malt glass is empty. And because of those two things, you f- you f- I have to go yeah. with, uh, I have to go with just Justin's recommendation that Jonathan wins this week. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I was not on my a game this week, mostly because these were just very uninspiring lightning round items. I think the lightning round is it's a disservice to how long this one took. It's more like a uh, like a slow flash. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So maybe maybe we maybe we reduce lightning round to be a little bit more selective in our choices uh, versus yeah, try to cover. So. What so what I forgot what I said now. What did I what did I win? I for? can't remember. But I do know that the Bohemia is empty, and the Scotch glass is empty. And Justin said you won, so I'm going with Justin's recommendation. Fair what enough. did you say? I mean, I can, you'll, when I, you I, when you do the replay, you'll you'll know what you want for. Yeah. It's fine. It's like if MySpace had invented Citrix. I mean, as we were trying to troll him live editing all of the show notes, <laughs> we could have put we could have marked down which one we thought was a winner as we went through. But no, no, we were too busy, you know, changing SSM to BDSM <laughs> and a couple other things, <laughs> <laughs> trying to get Peter to say it. So you know, it's it's really on it's really on Jonathan and I that we don't know who won because we were too busy trying to troll Peter. <laughs> For you, the listeners of the CloudPod podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook downloaded with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash thecloudpod. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash thecloudpod for your free audiobook. All right, Jonathan, it's, uh, it's time for Cool Tools with you. With me. Very lonely this week. We don't have a guest this week to talk about their own tools. Well, but I mean, if if someone has a cool tool that they want to come share with the podcast, do ping us on the feedback page on the website and say, hey, I have a tool I'd like to come talk about. And you can join us like Matt did last week uh, and talk to us all about his tool. And we'll give you product feedback unsolicited as we did last week. Absolutely. And unlike Amazon, we promise not to fork your repo and uh, sell it for money. This week, in fact, we mentioned this tool a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Nginx and how bad the configuration language is and how it doesn't lend itself to automation. Um, so the cool tool for this week is uh, nginxconfig.io. I will not even attempt to pronounce the name of the engineer who uh, wrote the service and maintains the service. He's Hungarian. And uh, you can find a link to him at the bottom of the nginx.io page. I, I, will, I will attempt to butcher the name now. I'm afraid that Greg will comment again, though. Balint Zakaris. I think that's how you say that. I think so. But I I don't really know. So if I I did butcher it, I apologize. Just like I did those Russian people who founded 
uh, Nginx that I butchered last week in a horrible, horrible ma- manner. So <laughs> I will be the butcher in chief of the podcast. <laughs> well, nginxconfig.io is an amazing web-based tool to build Nginx configurations. It's absolutely fully featured. You walk in there with your use case, whether it's a Django application, a Node application, reverse proxying, um, WordPress, anything you like, and you configure it with your domain name, paths, your public routes, any kind of security requirements that you have, um, and it generates the Nginx uh, virtual server configuration for you. Uh, for an easy download. It's really cool. I, I will admit that I don't use this to, to generate configs, but I do use it for reference. So I'll go in here and I'll click around and I'll find out what the directives are in Nginx to do certain things, and then I'll put that into my own automation in Terraform or something. But definitely check it out. Really good tool for configuring Nginx. Nice. I do see it supports WordPress, which our website runs on. So if I want to make some changes to the Nginx config, I can copy-paste these right out of here. So that's nice. Yeah, and it looks it looks so nice. I, I'm envious of uh, anybody who can build a web UI that looks as uh, as clean and, and as functional as, as this. Yeah, the uh, um, it's like the best of both worlds because you don't have to remember the syntax, but the result of your work is code, and so it can be versioned and managed uh, and tracked. But you don't have to remember it. Makes it so much easier to get moving. Yeah, good job. And the guy has a couple of other projects as well, which are well worth checking out. So he definitely has a lot of uh, front end uh, skills. You know, Laravel, Lumen, Slim, Angular, Ionic. So he's he's definitely done a lot of work with front end and back end technologies. But yeah, this is a really nice site. And you know, congratulations to him on producing something kind of awesome. And I'll try not to butcher his name again. So I will. That's a fantastic cool tool, and we look forward to next week's cool tool. I think this covers everything for this week in the Cloud Pod. If you have feedback, you want to correct my pronunciation of uh, something else, uh, please do so at the website, either by commenting on the episode or by sending us feedback. Um, if you are interested in coming on the show as a guest host, we are always happy to have you. Uh, and so please ping me either on Twitter at jbroadley or on the website as well. And we will try to get you scheduled into the podcast uh, in a future week. And that is the week in cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Foghorn Consulting and Audible.com. Subscribe today on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag the cloud pod. What are we doing for episode title? We could do a Pi Day thing. Got a lot of GCP going on. The Cloud Pod calculates uh, 15 digits of uh, Pi because we got this is the 15th episode. Cloud Pod eats 31.4 <laughs> billion slices of Pi. Episode 15 recorded on what is today? March 19th. What are we doing with the Cloud Pod eats 31.4 billion? Is that what it was? Or trillion? 31.4, yeah. Oh, well, that's interesting. I never noticed. Yeah, 3.14. How could you not notice that? Oh. Uh, <laughs> I didn't oh, notice that either. You got to be kidding me. <laughs>